That's one of Brother Tom's songs that we learned for the conference. Let's have all the members stand. Visitors, you remain seated for just a second. The ushers are coming down the aisle. There's a visitors, a guest packet that we want to give to you. And, and on the inside, you'll find a little gift from the church. And also, there's a guest card that we'd like for you to take and just fill in and drop an offering plate in a little while. We want you to get to know us. And so, we want to send you some information this week about the church. And we want to get to know you as well. And then once you get that, go ahead and stand with us. And we're going to sing and we're going to worship the Lord tonight and enjoy the goodness of God. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord tonight? Amen. amen. You do better than that. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord tonight? Say amen. amen. He's glorious. Let's worship him tonight. Let's pray and ask the Lord to touch us tonight. Father, you are glorious. The word of God declares that you are glorious. And the Word of God speaks of giving unto you the glory that is due unto your name. So we stand amazed at who you are and what you do for us. You are glorious. So tonight in this service, we pray that you'll be worshipped. We pray tonight that you'll receive thanksgiving and praise. Fill our hearts, Lord, in all of who you are. And help us tonight just to worship you. Touch us now. Meet every need. Work in every heart. Work in every life. And we'll thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing and worship. God is so good. God is so you may be seated. Let's let our ushers come forward to receive our offering. And again, we appreciate all of you that are visiting with us. And if you'd take just a moment to fill out the little guest card that's inside the packet, again, we'd like to send you some information so you can learn more about us. And again, we're thrilled to have you with us. Let me just make mention about all the flowers down here. And the roses are in loving memory of Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Janice Stewart. I hope I say, got that right. Janice Stewart. And... Uh, James Stewart, uh, Mr. and Mrs. James Stewart, and honored by Rhonda Posey and Debbie Jones. And uh, we appreciate all these and all the flowers, the grandparents. Isn't it great to be a grandparent? Amen? Amen. Who cares about the kids once the grandkids come along? <laughs> Amen. I told someone the other day, I think it was here, that I'd trade our boys uh, we always had boys, you know, in our family. I, have, I grew up in a family of four boys. And then the Lord gave me three boys and gave me two grandsons and a third grandson on the way. I told him I'd trade all three of my boys 
for one ugly girl. I mean, I would. It's, <laughs> but it's great to be a grandparent. But all, if you're a grandparent, uh, the roses are for you. So if you want to come down after the services, if you're a grandparent, you can take one of these with you. And they were given in honor. And we appreciate those who have done this. Let me just remind you, in the back of the pews, you'll find little building fund envelopes. They're in there every service. Appreciate the way you're giving to the building fund. And we are well ahead of our goal. What we anticipated uh, raising for this year is out. Over $11,000 came in for the building fund today. And we're excited about that and just appreciate all the things the Lord is doing. Our goal was to get to 100000 by the end of the year. We're going to go over that, well over that. And we praise the Lord for that. Amen? Amen. Excited about all the things that's happening. But those are there and just want to remind you of all the things that are going on. Let's pray. Father, continue to move in this service, glorifying your name. Bless the offering now in Jesus' name. Amen.
no dying, no more trouble or strife. We will live through the ages by that beautiful sea of life. When some glad tomorrow with the saints I'll stand. I'll put on a crown and walk around our love of God's promised land.
That's the choir. Everyone, please stand tonight as the choir comes down. They're going to be playing uh, uh, when we all get to heaven. I had to think about it. When we all get to heaven, y'all get out and shake hands. Make everyone feel welcome tonight. Don't just stand there. Get out. Find a friend. Make a friend. You heard this choir sing their heart out tonight. Now, they're not putting on a show for you. They just love singing for the Lord. Now, this is your opportunity now. It don't matter what you sound like, because when he hears it, it's just perfect. When it comes from the heart, that's what he's looking on, not listening to the voice. And we don't have to worry about singing that song tonight, Brother Ronnie. Please let me sing in the choir, sing in the choir. Everybody gets to sing tonight. So on that last verse now. Onward to the prize before us. 
Thank you. You may be seated.
gives us the strength. In Psalms 103, it says, For as high as the heavens above, so great is the wonder of his love. He hath removed all of our transgression. He knoweth our frame. He hath pitieth on those that fear him. Bless the Lord, all his works and all his places. He's so good to us, and he loves us, and knows us, and yet he loves us. And we can go to him with every care that we have and know that we are under his wings.
Praise the Lord for that. Take your Bible to 1 Peter 5. Be finding your place there. This morning in Children's Chapel, where's Brother John at? John, where are you at? He's over here. They had 90 in Children's Chapel this morning. And they had two saved in Children's Chapel this morning. Isn't that great? In fact, one met me out in the lobby and grabbed me with the breeches leg, and I looked down, and he said, I got saved this morning, amen. Isn't that great? Uh, faith teams, uh, all of John Vandergriff's faith team, would you stand up real quickly? Those on John Vandergriff's faith team this past Thursday night, would you stand? John's up there, Fred's up there, and uh, right. They had one saved Thursday night. They led somebody to the Lord. Isn't that great? You praise the Lord for that. Angel's faith team. Angel, would you stand your faith team? Those with Angel and her faith team on Thursday night. They had somebody saved Thursday night. Isn't that great? <laughs> Roy Phipps, where you at? Roy, where you at? Your faith team. Roy's faith team. Stand up. Roy Phipps and his faith team, where they at there? They're around here. They had... Somebody saved on Thursday night. Isn't that great? Matt uh, Fletcher, would your faith team, Matt and his faith team, Tilly, they had somebody saved Thursday night. Isn't that great? <laughs> Don't tell me God's not the saving business. Amen. He's still saving folks. If you just do what his word says, He'll still do what he said in his word. I praise the Lord for it. Let me take just a second now, just a moment or two, to talk to you about our conference coming up. I always take a few minutes just to say a word or two about the conference, and I want to say just a few things tonight. Of course, next Sunday is the beginning of our conference. It's our 15th conference, but it's about our fourth or fifth. We're trying to remember today how many were the past where we combined the two conferences together. But that starts next Sunday. Of course, the third Sunday... It's homecoming as well. It'll be our 62nd anniversary. We'll be recognizing that next Sunday. We have something we'll be given to everybody that is here next Sunday and uh, celebrate our 62nd anniversary. After the service, as always, we'll be having uh, a meal, dinner over in the Family Life Center. As I mentioned this morning, when you come in uh, next Sunday morning, just take all of your food over to the Family Life Center as you've been doing it in the past, and there'll be someone there to pick that up and to put it out but uh, let me encourage everybody to prepare plenty of food for next Sunday. We're anticipating a great day and uh, maybe just a little bit extra to share. But uh, it's homecoming, but it's also our Bible conference and just a special time. We still need some ladies to help us with the cakes. I noticed a couple signing as I came in tonight. We still need some ladies to help us prepare cakes for the meals. We do a lot of things for our guests that come in uh, uh, we've been providing three meals a day for them, but we moved them to a motel where they have breakfast at their motel. That saves our ladies from having to come in at 5 and 6 o'clock in the morning to get ready for breakfast. And, but we're still providing lunch and then a meal for all of our guests, uh, out-of-town guests and different preachers and different ones, after the service. And uh, we need the cakes for these meals. There's a sign-up sheet out in the lobby, and uh, we need you to go by there tonight, ladies, and help us in that way and it'd be a blessing to you. Let me just say this about the conference, and you do it every year, and, and it's a blessing. Uh, the conference means a lot of things to us. One, it's a time for us to get something from the Lord. That's what we began the conference for. When I came here 15 years ago, 
came in August. We had our first one in September, and we've been doing it every year. And we did it so it would be a time like revival meeting for us, camp meeting for us, where we could get something. But the Lord through the years has so worked that, that it's not only a time that we as a church get something, but it's a time where we give something. And I found this a long time ago, that if you give, you'll get. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about you give yourself to others, and you'll return, you'll get from others. And you give and serve others and be a blessing to others, and the Lord's going to bless you in return. And we've experienced that as a church for doing this. We provide motel rooms for preachers and their families, their wives. And, and I love you for doing this because uh, many of these are my friends. These are guys that I'm with on and off through the year and different things. Fellas I talk to, I've been in their churches. A lot of new ones coming this year. I don't even know and different things. But preachers have been here, have told them they're coming in. And uh, many of them, I know their burdens and I know their struggles. And uh, I know they need a week when they can get away. And forget about all the problems back home and all the burdens back home. And for a week, just take in. They need that. Everybody needs to take in. Amen? Amen. You give out, you got to take in. And, and all these fellas, they do. And uh, many of them, many of them. We started doing this a number of years ago because we'd have the conference. I'd invite them to come. Well, I wish I could, but I can't get away or couldn't afford to come. I couldn't afford to come pay my motel room and meals and things like that. So, Lord, begin burning my heart. Why don't we do that? that it might be a blessing to other people. We'll take care of it, bring them in so they can get away for a week and just come in here and take things in. And uh, then come in and listen to good music because a lot of them not used to hearing th this kind of choir. Didn't choir good, do good tonight, yeah, amen? Yeah. Everybody did. Started off with Mike on the piano. I looked over at Mike playing and I thought, he does good for a fella that just turned 50 today, amen? Yeah. Did. Where's Mike Turnmeyer at? Happy birthday. Today's his 50th birthday. I think it's 50. I'm going to check the, his birth certificate. I would think more 55. But anyway, uh, but they don't hear this, and they don't get around this atmosphere. They're hungry for it. They're hungry for it. They want it, uh, but they don't have it, and we're blessed with it. And so we bring them in. And so your giving throughout the whole year helps us to provide rooms for them, uh, take care of their motel bill, to provide uh, lunch for them and a meal for them after service. Our motel bill this year will be somewhere around $7,500. Uh, but that is a, God has sent it in this year through your giving, and uh, it is a blessing. And I want you to know I love you for doing that. But this is one thing that God has given us. Don't think for a minute that the combining of the two conferences together was ever an accident. Uh, we had Brother Tom the way it came to pass. Brother Tom was to be our main speaker uh, four or five years ago in our conference, and he had had his own conference. Ours is 15 years. He'd had his own conference for about 17, 18 years, and was in transition, not being a pastor, so he had to be in different places. He was in transition and uncertain about what to do. And so since he was going to be here, he called me one day and said, Would it be possible, would you mind, if I combine my conference with your conference? And I said, I'd love for it to. And that was our first one together, and it was a marriage made of the Lord, and that's the way it's been through the years. But in so doing, the Lord gave us a wonderful opportunity as a church. He gave us the opportunity of serving other people. And that's what next Sunday, beginning next Sunday morning, and the whole week is about. It is serving others. It's, we're going to get something out of it. But it's a time when we have guests that come in from all over the South. Preachers come in, over 100 preachers last year. 
and families, and got a lot of families. I know a family uh, called me the other day or emailed me the other day. They're wanting to know if they can hook a camper up. And they said there were five families from their church that were coming. This is down in Florida that was coming to be here. And this is our week to be a servant to others. And I want to ask you to do it, encourage you to do next Sunday and throughout the whole conference. I want you to realize that God has given us this wonderful opportunity to just for one week to make these preachers and their families feel like kings and queens, to wait on them hand and foot, to see to it their every need is met, just to overwhelm them with love and overwhelm them with kindness and shower them with uh, just waiting on them, loving them, caring for them, and just letting them know how thrilled we are where they'll go back feeling, man, those folks down there uh, really loved us and cared for us. And, and you'll never know. I wish you could hear the testimonies on the final night when preachers and their wives walk up to me and they break down and start crying. They say, you'll never know what this week meant to my heart. It blesses me because I know the battles they've been going through. And you talk about running. I want to just do cartwheels. Say amen. It's a blessing. And I thank the Lord for it. But I want you in the week to come, in the conference, I want you that week to ask God to give you a servant's heart. I want you to, as you come in, you see visitors, I want you to introduce yourself to them and let them know how thrilled we are to have them at Temple Baptist Church. Wednesday night we'll be passing out the names of all of our preachers as we do every year so that you can be praying for them. And every year, the preachers that come in, we have people that pray specifically for that preacher that God will just do something wonderful in their heart and just stir their heart and just meet their need. But I want you just to, folks, you see, just walk up to them, introduce yourself, say, it's great to have you at Temple Baptist Church. We're glad that you're here. And just go out of your way to help them. Anything we can do for you, anything that you need, just make them for one week forget all about troubles back home and just... Just be overwhelmed with a church that will love them and then get in here and go to meeting with us and have a good time. And that's what they need. That's what they need. And you can do that. And then let me just say a word about the choir. Are you listening to me tonight? Say amen. amen. Let's really go out of your way. And then for the choir, I'll tell you what. I cannot say how much I appreciate you, but I want you to realize and understand that you are one of the most important things that happens in our Bible conference. If it wasn't for our choir during the conference, they would be a huge, uh, there would be something special about the conference that is missing. You are such an important part of the Bible conference. You're singing. Uh, these preachers come in here, and, and uh, they are overwhelmed. They've never heard anything like this, many of them. And uh, you're an important, but you set the stage for the whole service, starting it out. And I done told Rick, we're starting out in high gear. We're not starting out low gear every night. We're starting out just like in a horse race, and just letting it go. The gate opens. We're going through it. Say amen right there. And just letting it rip from the moment uh, the bell rings. But uh, uh, I want to encourage the choir to be here and everybody in the choir to be here every night. What I'm asking you to do is not just to be here and come to church for me. I'm asking you for the fact that we have been given the opportunity and have been for these number of years to minister to others. This is a week for you to serve other people and to serve the servant of the Lord. And so choir, I want you all to be here. And our choir is unique in the fact that we use so many people for solos. And uh, so many of you, we uh, do verses in the songs. That's why we need every person in the choir. Because there might be a night God would lead us to do a song. 
And the person that does that song may not be here, and that would hinder us from being able to do that song. And so we need all of you. I'm just saying, but I want you to just give the Lord that week. Just give him a Sunday through Thursday. I don't care who's down at the Memorial Auditorium. I don't care what's going on. Can I get an amen right there? I want you to give the Lord that week, inquire every one of you, be here. It's important that you be here because the songs we've been singing are the ones we're going to pull out and throw on these fellas. And uh, so I want you to be here. And we need all of you, especially you that do solos and all the trios and the groups and everything that sing. We're going to use you, and I'll let you know next Sunday. We're going to let you start the service and open the service up. But all through the service meeting, I mean, there may be times I'm just going to jump up and say, I want you to come up and sing a song. So we need you here every night, every one of you, and just come. And we're going to have a great time in the Lord. I'm ready for it, aren't you? If Tom doesn't preach worth the flip, we'll have good music. Say amen right there. (laughs) Amen. So all of those things, just keep that in mind. And next Sunday when you walk in, become the servant of the Lord. We got a lot of our guests that are coming in next Sunday. Many of them come in on Monday, but I know of two or three preachers that are coming in next Sunday and uh, be here and families that are coming in. So it's just going to be a great, great week, and, and we just want to be used to the Lord. Amen? Amen? Let's stand as we honor the reading of His Word tonight, First Peter 5. I'm going to conclude the series of messages I've been bringing you on Sunday night on why God lets His people suffer. Now, the Bible, we have been James, we've been on Wednesday, in the book of James on Wednesday night. The Bible, at the very beginning, first 12 verses, talks about trials. And it makes it very clear trials are happening in our lives. Suffering is something that's going to occur. And we've been looking at 1 Peter 5 and verse 10. And Peter tells us why God lets his people suffer. Look at verse 10 again. And we'll look at the final word. We looked at four words or three words. And we'll look at the last one tonight. But the scripture said, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, After that ye have suffered a while, he says now, one, make you perfect. Two, establish. Three, strengthen. Four, settle you. James says, or or rather Peter says, by the Spirit of God, that after ye have suffered a while. In other words, suffering will produce these things or suffering will bring about these things in your life. Suffering will perfect you. It will establish you. It will strengthen you. It will settle you. We've looked at the first three. We thought about how he would perfect us and establish and strengthen us. The final one tonight, God lets his people suffer to settle us. Thank you. you. may be seated. Let's pray. And then the message tonight from the Word of God. Our Father tonight in Jesus' name, what a glorious day it has been in the Lord. What a glorious week it has been in the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for those that have been saved throughout the course of the week. We thank you, Lord, for those that have been saved through the course of this day. We thank you, Lord, for those that have been blessed and for those whose lives have been touched. We thank you so much, Lord, that you came to church with us today. We want you to come here every Sunday, every service. As the choir sung this morning, Jesus, you are welcome here. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, what would we do without your word? It is your word that we desire to know above anything else. It is your word that we want to hear. It is your word that we want to learn. It is your word that we want to put into our heart. And so, Father, tonight as we come and conclude this 
particular series. We thank you, Lord, for what you have said to us and for the things you have taught us and how you've reminded us, Lord, that you let us suffer. And suffering is often the will of God for our life, but you let us suffer that you might produce certain things in our life as a believer. Lord, help us tonight to see how that you want to settle certain things in our life as a result of suffering. So speak to us now, and we'll praise you and thank you, for it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. I ran across a little thing one time that was entitled, How to Tell When It's Going to Be a Rotten Day. Have you ever had a rotten day? I've had a rotten day. I've had a rotten week. I've had a rotten month. Sometimes I feel like I've had a rotten life, but we've all been there. A rotten day. Well, this little article said, this is how you can tell if you're going to have a rotten day. So you know you're going to have a rotten day when you call suicide prevention, they put you on hold. You know you're going to have a rotten day. It's going to be a rotten day when your birthday cake collapses from the weight of the candles. By the way, happy birthday, Mike Turnmeyer. You can tell it's going to be a, a rotten day when you turn on the news and they're showing emergency routes out of the city. You know it's going to be a rotten day when your car horn goes off accidentally and remains stuck as you follow a group of hell's angels on the freeway. You know it's going to be a rotten day when your boss tells you not to take off your coat. You know it's going to be a rotten day when the birds singing outside your window is a buzzard. You know it's going to be a rotten day when you wake up and all your braces are locked together. You know it's going to be a rotten day when your income tax check bounces. And you know it's going to be a rotten day when your wife says, Good morning, Bill, and your name is George. Can I get an amen right there? As we all know, there are rotten days. And as we all know, there are rotten times in our life. We've been looking at it from Peter's point of view. We've been looking at the matter of suffering. And when we're talking about suffering, we're not necessarily talking about physical pain. But Peter is talking about trials. He is talking about adversity. He is talking about affliction. He's talking about those difficult times of life. And he reminds us that trials are going to come. He said in chapter 4 and verse 12, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. He reminds us that trials are going to come. Fiery trials are going to come. Suffering. Peter even goes as far to say that suffering is sometimes according to the will of God. In other words, God lets his people suffer. But the question we've been asking is, why does God let his people suffer? You live for God, you serve God, you honor God in your life. God lets you suffer. Why? What is the reason for suffering? Why does God let his people suffer? Well, as I've already said, 1 Peter 5.10 tells us why God lets us suffer. He lets us suffer in order to perfect us. And we saw that the word perfect there has the idea of restoring. And we saw that God lets us suffer because sometimes God uses trials to restore us. I'm sure there's people in this room tonight that is living for God, but there was a time in your life when you got saved and you got away from God. But you know how God brought you back? In some of your cases, God used adversity to bring you back, to restore you. But God restores us through our suffering. And then we saw how not only God restores us and perfects us, but he establishes us. That is, he fixes certain things firmly in our life. There are certain things God wants nailed down in our life. And the way God nails these things down is through trials. And go on and on and on. But there's a final word that I want to look at tonight, and that is the word settle. 
Peter tells us that God lets his people suffer in order to settle us. Look at the word settle for just a moment. It is translated several ways in the Bible. For example, listen to Matthew 7, 25. The Bible said the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. The word founded is the same word translated settle in 1 Peter 5 and verse 10. In Ephesians 3 and verse 17, the Bible said that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. The word grounded in Ephesians 3, 17. Same word translated settle in 1 Peter 5 and verse 10. Listen to Hebrews chapter 11 or chapter 1 and verse 10. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth. The word foundation. Same word, translated settle, in 1 Peter 5 and verse 10. In other words, what Peter is telling us, that God uses suffering to found us or to found certain things in our life. Or God uses suffering to ground us. That God allows trials to come in a believer's life to put a foundation in our life. In other words, there are certain things that God wants founded or grounded in our life. There's a foundation that God wants to lay in our life as a believer. And He wants to lay that foundation in our life because there is something that He wants to build upon that foundation. So God lets His people suffer in order to put this foundation in. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, I want to give you three things. I believe there are three things, three reasons, or three foundations, you might say, that God lets us suffer in order to put these things into our life, to ground us in these areas. Jot these down. The first one is this, a trustfulness in God's Word. A trustfulness in God's Word. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. Psalm 119, 72, The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Psalm 119, 97, Oh, how I love thy law. It is thy, my meditation all the day. The psalmist is very clear that the Word of God was sacred to the psalmist. The Word of God was special to the psalmist. The Word of God was sweet to the psalmist. He had found in the Word of God that he found in the Word of God something that he could trust. You see, one of the reasons God lets us suffer is He wants to bring us to a place that we'll realize that the Word of God can be trusted. Let me explain. For one thing, we are told that the Word of God can be trusted. Over and over again, this book tells us that we can trust the Bible. Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, Thy Word is settled in heaven. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. I think about Joshua 23, 14. I put the verse on the screen. As Joshua was nearing the end of his life, this is what he said. And behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth. And you know in all of your hearts and in all of your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you and not one thing thing hath failed thereof. Isn't that great word? Not one thing, Joshua said, had failed. You see, the Word of God defines itself as a trustworthy book. The Word of God declares that the Word is trustworthy. The patriarchs, the psalmists, the prophets, they all declared that the Word of God could be trusted. 
Are you listening to me tonight? Right here, this Bible that I have before me is a book that you can believe. You can believe every word of the Bible. You believe every word that's given in the Word of God. From the first verse to the last verse, you can believe every word of the Bible. You can rely on the Bible. You can trust in the Bible. There is not one word in the Bible that is false. There is not one word in the Bible that is fake. There's not one word in the Bible that is fallacious. There is not one word in the Bible that is failing. You can trust in, stand on, and believe every word of the Bible. Amen? You can believe every book of its 66 books. You can believe every chapter of its 1,189 chapters. You can believe every verse of its 41,173 verses. You can believe every word of its 774,746 words. And furthermore, you can believe every letter of his 3,566,480 letters. I'm saying to you tonight, you believe every word that the Bible says. Amen. It's the Word of God. And you can trust in the Bible. I love the story of Billy. I've told it before. I know it. But I want to hear it again, so I'm going to tell it again. I love the story. Billy Sunday was a unique evangelist back in the early part of this century. And he'd set the tabernacles up and he'd say, hit the sawdust trail. Very uh, dramatic in his preaching, whatever. he just preach and take chairs and bust them over the side and whatever and run and jump and roll and holler and holler. Hit the sawdust trail. Billy Sunday was preaching somewhere on one occasion and there was a heckler in the crowd. And this fellow jumped and said, I don't believe that Bible. And Billy Sunday kept on preaching. And the fellow in a few minutes hollered out, I don't believe in what you, the Bible says about hell. Sunday ignored him, kept on preaching. He said, I don't believe in heaven. Sunday kept on. And the fellow just kept on, kept on, hollered out, I don't believe that Bible. Finally, Sunday stopped. He said, what's your problem? He said, I don't believe a thing you're saying because I don't believe that Bible. And Sunday said, what do you mean you don't believe the Bible? He said, I don't believe anything. I don't believe the, or any, or a single word in that Bible. And he said, in fact, you can't show me one word in that Bible to be true. And Billy Sunday said, if I were to show you one word in the Bible that is true, would you believe it? He said, yeah, I would, but you can't. Billy Sunday jumped down off the platform, ran over, grabbed the man by the head, reached up and got him by the nose and started twisting and turning. And finally, blood started coming out of the man's nose and Sunday let him go. And the fellow looked at him and said, why did you do that? He said, you told me if I showed you one verse in the Bible is true, you'd believe it. Proverbs 30, 33 said, surely the churning of the milk bringeth forth butter and the wringing of the nose bringeth forth blood. Can I get an amen right there? I'm saying to you, believe this Bible. It's not a myth. It's not Aesop's fables. This is the Word of God. And you believe every promise given in the Bible. We are told that we can trust the Word of God. But second of all, we are taught that we can trust the Word of God. The Bible tells us we can trust it. God tells us in His Word that we can take His promises and believe them. But you know why God lets his people suffer? He lets us suffer to teach us that the word of God is trustful. That's what Peter talks about. After you have suffered a while, settle you. Do you realize it is often the hour of suffering that we learn that the word of God can be trusted? It is often in our darkest hours that we learn that this Bible, that we can rely on every promise. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 50, this is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. You know what he was saying? He was saying that in the midnight hour, 
In the hour of affliction, he had found the word of God to be his comfort. And he had found in the midnight hour, in the hour of trial and suffering, that he could depend on what God said in his word. I love the words of John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace. He said, Precious Bible, what a treasure does the word of God afford. All I want for life or pleasure, food and medicine, shield and sword, let this world account me poor. Having this, I need no more. He had found the Bible to be reliable. How do you know? Why does God let his people suffer? He lets us suffer so that we'll learn that we can trust the Bible. In the storms, how many times in the storms have you been driven to, to God's word? And you turn to God's word and you found that the promises of God's word is true. That's why God lets us suffer. Let me give you a second reason. Not only to put in the foundation, to lay this foundation in our life that we can trust His Word, trustfulness in God's Word, but a second of all, a usefulness in God's work. Jot this reference down, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Paul spoke to Timothy about being meet for the master's use. That is, being profitable for the master's use. Paul said to Timothy, you can be profitable to God. You can be meat for the master's use. You can become profitable in the hands of the Lord. Now, that reminds me, or that brings to mind this thought. One, that a believer can be blessed for God's usefulness. The constant prayer of Hudson Taylor was, Lord, give me wide usefulness. Hudson Taylor was saying, Lord, I want you to use me. I want you to use me in a large way. I want you to lose me, use me in a mighty way. Now, listen to me tonight. God wants to bless you, and God wants to use your life. Do you believe that? God wants to use you. The prayer of every believer ought to be, Lord, use me. The passion of every believer ought to be, Lord, use me. The pursuit of every believer ought to be, the Lord, use me. God wants to use you tonight, and God wants to take your life and make you meet for the Master's use. And I want you to understand this now, but you say, oh, brother can't. Surely God couldn't use me. I don't have but a fourth grade education. I don't have a lot of talent. I don't have a lot of skill. I want, you to make it, I want to make it very clear tonight that being meat for the master's use does not mean that you have to be loaded down with talent, that you have gone to seminary, or you was born with a silver spoon in your mouth. When it comes to the matter of being used for God, it's not a matter of ability. It's a matter of availability. God does not use you based on your background or your personality or your education or your vocational aptitude. God doesn't put you through a battery of tests to see if you qualify. All he wants you to do is give yourself to him and he'll use you. God wants to use you. He wants to bless your life and use you. He blesses us in order to use us. But second of all, you'd be certain not only can God bless you and use you, but you will be broken for God's use. In order, you say, I want to be used of God. Then I want you to understand something tonight. That anybody that God uses can expect adversity. Anybody that God puts their hand upon and uses somewhere, God will break that individual. A.W. Tozer said, It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Listen to me. Let me say it again. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him 
deeply. There's one thing for certain. God can use you. And there is nobody that cannot be used of God. But you mark it down. Anybody that has been blessed of God is somebody that has been broken by God. 2 Timothy 2.21, I read it a moment ago, meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. In other words, God prepares you. How does he prepare you? I'll tell you how he prepares you. He throws you in the middle of the furnace. He throws you in the middle of the storm. He lets your little world come, come crumbling down around you. He don't set you on the mountaintop and line your walls and, and chiffon and, line and bless you in every little turn. I'll tell you, God, before he ever blesses a man somewhere, I stick him off in the backside of the desert and strip him of everything himself, everything. Break that man. He'll put him in the fire. Samuel Rutherford that said in the midst of a very painful trial, praise God for the hammer, the file, and the furnace. Why praise God for the hammer? Why praise God for the file? Why praise God for the furnace? I'll tell you why. Because Rutherford, Rutherford realized that God uses those that he breaks and those he puts through the storm. Someone wrote it this way, an unknown author. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man and when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all of his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world may be amazed, watch his method, watch his ways, how he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into shapes of clay which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, how he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. Are you listening to me? We often think in terms of victories. God thinks in terms of vessels. And we often think in terms of mountains, but God sends the valleys. Tim Dansel said sometimes it seems that when God is about to make preeminent use of a man, he puts him through the fire. You know one of the things God wants to do in your life? He wants to use you. So why does he send suffering? To settle you, to put in this foundation, lay the foundation there for somebody they can use for God. But there's a third and a final thing. Jot it down. Not only trustfulness in his word, usefulness in his work, but restfulness in his Will. Look at Job 23.10. Turn in your Bible there. I may put it on the screen, did I? I don't think so, but I want you to turn to Job 23 and verse 10. Job 23 and verse 10. I want you to look at this verse of Scripture. I want you to look at it. The Bible said, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Isn't that a great verse? He knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Quickly, let me point out two things out. One, in that one verse of Scripture, I see how God observes the difficulties of life. He knows the way we, we take. That's what he said, Job 23, 10. He knoweth the way that I take. He knows where we're at. He knows what we're going through. Blessed thought, oh, blessed thought. I may not know where you are tonight. I may not know what you're going through in your life, but I want you to listen to me. God knows. He knoweth the way that we take. He knows what we're going through. He observes the difficulties of our life. But not only does he observe the difficulties of life, but he orders the direction of our life. 
Job said, when he hath tried me. Job was declaring that God not only observes our life, but he also orders the afflictions of our life. Job said, he knoweth the way that I take. He observes the affairs of my life. But when he hath tried me, he orders the afflictions of my life. Job was saying, God not only knows where I'm at, but he may be the one responsible for where I am. I want you to listen tonight. There are no accidents with God. There are only appointments. And when a believer can understand this, then you'll learn to rest in the will of God. I read about a newspaper reporter that phoned the story into his editor. It's about a truck, an empty truck that rolled down a hill, jumped the curb, and smashed into a house and tore it all to pieces. He called the story into his editor. The editor was unimpressed and told the reporter he didn't want to run the story. And the reporter said to him, I'm glad you're taking this so calmly. It was your house. Well, how do you take things calmly? Have you ever seen people going through the storm and they seem to go through the storm so calmly? And they seem to go through the storm with such peace. You know how that came about? You know how that comes about? When we no longer struggle with why. And we no longer fight. Why? And we're, we're people, we're all, I've been there, we all have a tendency to say, Lord, why? Why did you let this happen in my life? Lord, why didn't you stop this? Why didn't you interfere here? Why didn't you interfe intervene here? Lord, why did you allow this? We struggle with it. If we're not careful, we'll get bitter against God in struggling. We talked about it Wednesday night. By the way, it was Franklin Pierce that's trying to think of Wednesday night. But we struggle with that. We get bitter with God. But you know when we learn to be calm in the storm? It's when we simply recognize that my way may twist and turn, but my life is in the hands of my heavenly Father. You know why God sends storms? So you'll learn to trust His will. So you'll learn to rest in whatever he sends. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what he holds for your life. I don't know what he holds for mine. To the best of my ability, I, to my ability except for old age is creeping up kind of slowly on me. I'm in good health, but I may tomorrow fall all to pieces. I may learn tomorrow that I have cancer or heart trouble. I don't know what tomorrow holds. But I know who holds tomorrow. And I can leave it in the hands of my God knowing that nothing will come my way that he doesn't appoint or allow. And so I can face whatever happens and I can face it calmly by trusting in the Lord. A man found a cocoon, found a cocoon of the emperor moth and he took it home to watch its emergence. One day a small opening appeared and it for several hours the moth struggled but couldn't seem to force its body past a certain point in the cocoon. Thinking something was wrong, the man took a pair of scissors and he snipped away the remaining bit of the cocoon. The moth emerged easily. Its body was large and swollen. Its wings were small and shriveled. What he expected was in a few hours the wings would spread out in their natural beauty, but that didn't happen. Instead of developing into a creature free to fly, the moth spent its, little, spent its short life dragging around a swollen body and shriveled wings. For what the man didn't understand was that the constricting cocoon and the struggle that is necessary to pass through the tiny openings are God's way of forcing fluid from the body into the wings. So when he actually, what he thought was a merciful snip, snip in reality, 
destined the moth to never fly. You know, we don't like those narrow openings in life, do we? We don't like those constricting times in life. But if you want to mount up with wings as eagles and soar in the heavenlies, trials are part of it. Suffering is part of it. After ye have suffered a while, perfect, strengthen, establish, settle you. When we look at all that, we can't help but say, Lord, thank you that you love me enough that you won't leave me alone. Let's stand in our feet, please. Those that are going to be baptized, you can sleep.